I enjoyed that song. Wasn't that good? I've enjoyed all the singing. And I have to tell you, this you have a great church. This is a tremendous church. If I lived anywhere close here, I'd go church here. I would. You have a good pastor. He has a wonderful wife. And I've been doing this for a little while. I, I, I do know these things. I tell you, this is a this is a good place. I like it. I like the spirit. I like the pastor's heart. Uh, I believe he wants to reach this community for the Lord. And that's that's church to be in right there, okay? I got to tell you, so I'm glad about all that. Uh, if I could, I, I'll say a couple of things about a couple of books. I, I It started out, and the Lord helped me with this. I kind of started out with the idea, because I like to write, and um, I've written several books now, that it was a hobby. And that's why I kept telling by it, writing is a hobby. Well, the Lord showed me that it was a ministry. And so I'm, I'm very thankful that it's something I enjoy. But uh, I have some books over here. And uh, I, I, if you buy them, that, that helps the people that I owe money to. Okay, But uh, if there's a book there that you think would be helpful to you I'm, and you don't have any money, that's okay. Uh, you just let me know. We'll take care of that. But I'll tell you about two, other, two books. I mentioned two earlier this morning. And there's two more. Uh, this book is called Living Above Depression. And uh, sometimes people that have depression get a little bit of a bad rap. They say, well, you know, uh, a Christian shouldn't be depressed. Well, somebody needs to explain that to Elijah, okay? Uh, and the Apostle Paul struggled and Job struggled and, and others in the Bible. So um, I struggled with depression from my late teen years into my early 20s, even to my 30. Um, I had some issues with depression. And so I decided that there's something was wrong and I need to figure this out. So I started studying depression in the Bible. And then I put a message together on it. And the long story short, um, when I realized it might be good, I was preaching in a, uh, a church up in New York. And I said to the pastor, I said, if you don't mind, on Tuesday night, I like to preach on depression. And so we announced it, and there were people came out of the woodwork. All these people came to the service, and the people in the church invited people to come. And so the Lord showed me I ought to put that in a book. So I, it was going to be just a booklet, and it ended up being a little bit more. But this is back there. And i tell you this thought. This helped me a lot. Uh, the cause of your depression may not change. Think about that a minute. Okay? The baby's not coming back to life. That, that heel of a man that ran off, he's not coming back. Whatever that, that you might not get well, your, phys, your physical health may not change. That may remain there. So the idea is that through, the, through, through Christ, we can live above what causes our depression. There's a lot of other things in here that I think would be helpful to anyone that struggles with that. I struggled with depression. I don't hide that. I had issues with that, but I thank the Lord for what he showed me. Then this is one of my favorite books I've written. It's called Life's About Relationships. And I just share little things I've learned and studied about having better relationships. I tell this, I believe this is very important. I am not a teacher. I do not see myself as a teacher about relationships. I see myself as a, as a learner, okay? I'm a student. The word disciple means learner. I love that. And I'm just trying to learn something. I don't, I don't claim to be an expert in anything, but I'm trying to learn something. And I've figured out that there's things I've learned that have helped me tremendously. And if uh, I can share 
and pass along with somebody else what I learned and if it helps them, then God's glorified and I'm happy. Amen. All right. Well, let me just real quick say thank you, of course, to uh, the pastor and his wife. We had a wonderful time of fellowship. I thank him for inviting me to be here. Of course, to get to be with Mrs. Douglas is always a blessing. We've known each other for a very long time, and we're very grateful for her and her husband. Pastor Ron Douglas was my mentor. He was my pastor. He was my friend, and I learned a lot from him, and I'm very grateful for him. And then I must say to you a brief word about Haiti. Uh, we've been in Haiti for 23 years. We have an orphanage there. We currently have about 82 orphans. We feed over 100 children every day. Uh, it's, it's a rough place. Uh, the, the cost of food has gone up tremendously. There's a, if you have followed anything in the news, you may not pay a lot of attention if you're not familiar with Haiti. I believe Haiti is the poorest country in the world. We know it's the poorest country in its hemisphere. But they have a lot of problems there. A lot of missionaries have left Haiti because it's so dangerous. So we work right now with 12 national pastors and we're probably getting more involved we, we, total we got about 18 that we work with but 12 we work with very closely and um our big project for 2024 is bibles the haitians do not have bibles uh two out of ten church attenders in haiti have a bible only two out of ten think about that a moment they do not have bibles so we have found a source where we can get New Testaments. So right now, Lord willing, we're going to ship 20,000 New Testaments to Haiti in February. By the end of the year, we hope to send 100,000 into Haiti. We're trying to get a whole Bible. That's a long story, kind of complicated. But if you'd pray for us, um, we are, for, and I don't, I'm not begging for money or anything, but we are always raising money for Haiti. Uh, we are looking to buy a truck. We need a big truck to take Bibles from Tennessee to Florida to put them on a boat to send them into Haiti, okay? And it would save us thousands of dollars if we have our, have our own truck to do that, okay? So we're, we're raising money for a big box truck. The Lord's helping us with that. I'll give you these statistics very quickly. Uh, the number of Haitians dying daily due to hunger is 562. Yearly food inflation rate is 53%. Yearly kidnappings, kidnappings in Haiti is 857. And uh, uh, we, right now, the Lord's allowing us and helping us to feed about over 100 children every day. We just sent Christmas to Haiti for over 100 children. We sent 20,000 pounds of food and uh, bicycles, all, all kinds of exciting things. So it's exciting. Has anybody here ever been to Haiti? Yes, sir. Bless your heart. Very good. Anybody here ever been here to a third world country? Several of us. Okay. Amen. It changes your outlook on life, does it not? It makes you grateful for this is the greatest country in the world right here. Amen. All right. Well, hey, if you would, please find in your Bible the book of Genesis and chapter 37. Now, aren't you glad I said Genesis? Isn't that an easy one? Now, let's just be honest for a minute. Doesn't it just aggravate you a little bit? You get to church. And the pastor gets up and says, everybody find the book of Habakkuk. <laughs> hey, an hour and a half ago, I couldn't find my socks. And now he wants me to find a book of Habakkuk. Okay. Genesis is easy, all right? And so I'm gonna, we're gonna, this is going to be a little bit different. Just kind of bear with me. We're going to read uh, a, quite a long passage of Scripture. We're going to read that here in a moment. And my introduction is very long. My, this message 
the introduction's long before we really get to the point. I kind of need to, or I want to give you a history of what's taking place in Joseph's life to get to the point, all right? So just be patient with me. And I got my briefcase up here. I'm going to use that for a little illustration just in a couple of moments. And I don't know what your custom is, and I don't, don't want to go against your custom, but if it's okay with y'all, at our church, uh, we stand in the reading of the Word of God, okay? And if you're physically able to do that, I invite you to do so, okay? So Genesis chapter 37 and verse 18, if you will, and we're going to read down to verse 28, all right? And notice it says in verse 18, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that in the uh, that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that we that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So Reuben's trying to save his life and get him back to his dad. Okay, 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph of his coat of many his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes, and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, and our flesh and his brethren were content. Verse 28 is our last verse for now. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now let's make our prayer. Lord, we thank you for this passage. I pray, Lord, that you'd use our lesson today to be a help. I pray, Father, please uh, give me clarity of thought. Uh, Lord, I as best I can, I yield to your spirit, my heart, my mind. I pray, Lord, use the message to be a help. And Lord, Father, help me to be focused on the, the truth in the message. And Lord, thank you for loving us today. Thank you for the guests that are here. And Lord, we pray you'd work it out that we might be able to gather together again this evening. Well, thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I appreciate your patience. Now, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this idea. Just bear with me. It's going to, again, my, my, my introduction is going to be a little long, okay? I want to talk to you the idea about uh, that dreams come true. Dreams can come true. I want to talk to you a little bit about what I call the journey of life. Now, Debbie and I traveled here. This is a little different than what we're going to be doing. I was an evangelist for 15 years and traveled all over the United States, worked a lot with young people. We used to go to juvenile prisons, which I hope to do again, and uh, had a good time. This trip's a little different uh, because when we traveled before, our children were with us a lot. And so this time we're out and we're gone for a whole month, okay? We won't be back home 
until like February 8th or 9th. And uh, we left on uh, the 9th of uh, January. Or the, uh, anyway, so we're, we're going to be out for a little bit. So we, we packed. Now, my, now all the men's going to understand what I'm saying. Women pack differently than men do, okay? Uh, now, uh, it's almost say about that because I don't want to have one of those meetings later on this afternoon where I have to sit down at the kitchen table and she talks to me. But anyway, uh, well, okay. And so, uh, so we packed all this luggage. Now, I have, I'm, I'm still, I have a laptop computer and I use it a lot. But I don't trust all this, this electronic stuff. I still have a lot of files. I, I start a project, like I've, I'm working on three books right now, okay? By the way, I'm writing a novel. Anyway, so I'm, uh, I'm working on these. I've got these projects, and I have two briefcases. I have a new briefcase, and it's really big, and it's kind of my traveling office now. I mean, it's really, it's a huge. And it is full. I've got so much stuff packed in it, books I'm reading, projects I'm working on. And then uh, I have this briefcase I kind of carry around. Now, this is packed more than it usually is. I've got a couple books in here I'm reading. I've got projects in here I'm working on. I've got my schedule in here, my calendar book, whatever you want to call it. I've got that in here. I mean, this is packed. Uh, right now, my Bible is setting up here, so it's not in here Otherwise, my Bible would be in here. Now, I figured this out. I'm not real smart, but you can only get so many items in one piece of luggage, okay? I can squeeze my Bible in here. I got a special place, kind of a little pocket in here. I can squeeze my Bible down in there, and if I were to put my Bible back in there, this briefcase would be absolutely full, and I don't know that you could even get another sheet of paper inside that briefcase you can only get so many things into one place now uh, I want to ask you to think with me about this this is kind of where we're going to get into my introduction can I say to us there are only so many things that you can fit into one heart let me say that again there are only so many things that you can fit into one heart. Let's say that your heart, and I'm going to come back to what that is in a minute. Let's say that your heart, and I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm talking about you as a being. I'm talking about the, your, your inner self, okay? Your, 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 your soul, your emotions is what I'm talking about. You can only get so many things. Let's say that your heart only has room for six things. All young folks look up here at me. I'm going to help you today. Let's say your heart only has room for six things. And that's all that you could fit in to your heart. Now, by heart, I mean, as I said a moment ago, your being. Uh, the person that you are in your spirit, in your soul, and your body. You're a trichotomy. And at your soul is the seat of your emotions and your reasoning and your, uh, your communication and your, uh, your conscience and so on. So uh, in that part of you, you can only, if you could only get so many things in there. Now we noticed in our text that Joseph's brothers said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. Joseph was known by his brothers and they were jealous of him for this, but Joseph had a dream, uh, and his brothers knew that he had this dream on his heart. 
And Joseph's dream was he was going to make something of himself. He was going to do something big with his life. Now, some people refer to this as a calling. And I like that thought. Uh, Dr. Tom Wallace, he has some messages he preaches about uh, a man of God having a calling on his life. And so some might say, uh, when they talk about their dream, they might refer to that as their calling. Another uh, statement that is uh, uh, sometimes uh, used is uh, the desire of your heart, that you have this thing on your heart that you want to do. But here in our text, we see the word dream, and so we're going to use the word dream in our lesson today. So let's review a little bit Joseph's life, and we're going to review his life to get to the point of our lesson. So bear with me. First of all, I want to remind us that Joseph had 10 older brothers. Now, this part's important. I'm just going to put this out here real quick. The 10 older brothers had three different mothers. All right, everybody okay? Uh, one is Leah. Leah had, well, he was married to Leah, and Jacob was married to Leah, so she had children with Jacob, and those were Joseph's brothers. And then there were two handmaidens that Jacob had children with, and that was a common thing back then, and we won't go into all that. But so all together, on those three, there were brothers. There, there were these 10 brothers. And then Rachel had Joseph. Now, I won't get ahead of myself, but Rachel was the love of, jo of Jacob's life. He adored uh, Rachel. So when Joseph was born to Rachel, ja uh, Jacob favored Joseph because he loved Rachel so much. So here's the firstborn of his relationship, or his marriage, I should say, to Joseph. So uh, Jacob favored Joseph over the older 10 brothers. And uh, Joseph then, uh, being already favored by Jacob, he comes along and he's favored by his father. And he says, hey, fellas, guess what? I've had a dream. And in my dream, everybody bowed down to me. Well, uh, the Bible tells us in our text here that Joseph's brothers, they hated him because of his dream. Notice in uh, chapter 37 and verse 4, we're going to look a little bit at Scripture here. Verse 4 says, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So his brothers hate him. Uh, they hate him because he's favored. They hate him because of his dreams. And so the older brothers, they had, don't miss this, they had hatred in their hearts. They have hatred in their hearts. And then things got worse. <laughs> it's already pretty bad. You have 10 brothers that hate you. Well, it gets a little bit worse. Notice with me chapter uh, 37, verse 5. It says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. And for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaf stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. So here, uh, the short version is that one day Joseph, he's uh, with his brothers, and he says, Hey, fellas, guess what? I've had this dream, and all of you bowed down to me in honor and respect. Well, now they hate him more. Verse 8 says, Joseph's brothers hated him yet the more. They already hate him. Now they hate him more. 
Now, in verse 9, Joseph tells his brothers that he had, I love this, <laughs> he had another dream. Boy, I love that. He goes and says, hey, fellas, I had this dream, and they hate him. He comes back later on. See, their hatred didn't stop him. He comes back later on and says, fellas, guess what? I've had another dream. This one's bigger. This one's even better than my first dream that I had. Well, the conclusion of the dream, of the second dream, was that Joseph's parents and his brothers, of course, and people of prominence and leadership all bowed down to Joseph to show him reverence, honor, and respect. Now this put envy in the hearts of Joseph's brothers. Envy's the idea of, some, of seeing someone as an enemy. Now think about this. So now Joseph's brothers that hate him, they have hatred in their heart. Now they have envy in their heart. And so when they see Joseph coming toward them, to them, he's the enemy. They see him as the enemy. So Joseph's brothers' hearts now are filled with hatred and bitterness and anger and wrath and malice. Boy, that's a lot to have in one heart. And verse 18 tells us that Joseph's brothers conspired against him to slay him. They wanted to kill him. But thankfully, they didn't kill Joseph. But instead, they did sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Now think about this. Joseph's brothers profited from their hatred. You know, I won't get into it, but there's some organizations in the world profiting from hatred. Profiting from hatred. They did that all because Joseph had a dream. And all because of that, Joseph's brothers' hearts were filled with hate and jealousy and bitterness and anger and malice. Now, before they sold Joseph... His brothers stripped him of his coat of many colors. Now, that coat is very significant. And I won't take time going all of it, but I will tell you a little bit about the coat. The coat in their culture was significant. One, the, one, the, the, the coat represented that Joseph would get the inheritance. It represented the priesthood of the family, that Joseph, in Jacob's eyes, Joseph was the one that he was going to appoint to be the leader of the family. Now, by their own tradition, rightfully, the coat or that recognition should have gone to Reuben because he was the firstborn son of Jacob. But Joseph was the firstborn son of Jacob and Rachel. And Rachel was the woman, the wife, that Jacob dearly loved. So this code and everything it represented, it represented the love of Jacob for Joseph. It represented the family priesthood. It represented the inheritance. They took that coat and they ripped it. And they put the blood of an animal on it. They took it back to Jacob and they said, is this your son's coat? And Jacob said, a wild beast has killed my son. And for 20 years, I wish I had time on this, for 20 years Jacob believed a lie. Because 
his other sons allowed him to believe. They never told him what happened to Joseph. They just allowed him to believe a lie for 20 years. Now, we know that, I know a lot of you know the story of Joseph, but we know that Joseph ends up a slave in Egypt. And while he's a slave in Egypt, believe it or not, things get worse. (laughs) Potiphar is Joseph's master. And Potiphar is a leader in the Egyptian government. And he made Joseph the overseer of his house. He first, he sees Joseph and he says, this is a responsible young man. This is a, a man, a young man of character. I'll make him overseer of my house. And one day as Joseph is in Potiphar's house caring for things and uh, Potiphar's not there, Potiphar's wife makes an advance toward Joseph. Joseph being a man of character, he runs off and he rejects her. But Potiphar's wife tells Potiphar that Joseph had made an advance toward him. And so now Joseph is falsely accused of making advances to this other man, his master's wife. And so Joseph then is put into a dark prison, falsely accused, where now his future looks very, very dark. And I wish I had time to go into this, but Joseph still doesn't give up on his dreams. So here he is. All of these things have taken place, sold into slavery, falsely accused, sitting in this dark prison for something he didn't do, all because his brothers were jealous and had jealousy and hatred and anger and malice and bitterness in their hearts. Now, While Joseph is in prison, and we won't go into the details of this, but I'll give you the short version here. While he's in prison, he interprets the dreams of Pharaoh's baker and butler. And so Joseph is called out of prison. Uh, Pharaoh has a dream. And none of Pharaoh's magicians or spiritual leaders or Dr. Phil, none of them, Oprah, none of them could interpret the dream. So he is puzzled, and someone says, There's a guy we've got locked up. (laughs) He can do it. They bring Joseph out of the prison. And Joseph interprets the dream that Pharaoh has. Well, Pharaoh, he's pretty thankful about that. And so he's... Uh, he, uh, that he that Joseph is able to interpret this dream and, and to show his gratefulness, he makes Joseph ruler second in command behind Pharaoh. He puts Joseph in this place of leadership and he makes Joseph governor of all the food distribution. So now <clears throat> Joseph's dream's coming true. People are giving him honor and respect, and even great leaders are respecting him, and they're, they're bowing down to him. And so his dream is, is coming true. People are respecting him. And then throughout the land, as Pharaoh's dream had prophesied, there's seven years of plenty, and then there's seven years of famine. Just as Pharaoh's dream prophesied it would come, But back in Canaan, Joseph's father and his mother and his brothers are starving to death. They're suffering. 
And so Jacob, he hears word that, hey, there's food in Egypt. Jacob calls those ten sons together, Joseph's brothers, and says, I'm going to send you fellas. You're going to go to take some money, and you go up to Egypt, and you get us some food. Now, bear with me. I'm, I'm abbreviating this part. Just bear with me here just for a minute. Jo- they get there, and their brothers get there, and there's Joseph, but they don't recognize him. And so they're having this conversation back and forth and a lot of things transpire and all of that. And eventually, after all these conversations and Joseph being real hard on them and and requiring things and accusing them of being spies and all this back and forth, they still don't know who he is. Joseph eventually reveals himself to his brothers now look, with, look at this with me over in chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. Notice these words. Here's what happens here. It says in verse uh, 1, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard him. Now notice this, verse 3. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither, uh, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be uh, there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And for God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Isn't that powerful? Now. We know, we're moving forward a little bit. We know that later, so they all moved, Jacob and all of his brothers, all of Joseph's families, they moved to Egypt. And years later, Jacob dies. When Jacob dies, this puts fear in those ten brothers. They thought, man, Joseph, he promised our father that he would not kill us. And all this time they're fearing that eventually Joseph's going to deal with them. Joseph's going to kill them. He's going to imprison them. Something bad's going to happen to them. They keep this fear in their heart. So Jacob dies, and they come to Joseph, and they say to him, uh, you know, we don't, want, we don't want you to kill us, okay? We're sorry for what we did. And so uh, our father now, he's dead. We, we don't want you to kill us. Notice this in chapter 50. Go over there real quick, Genesis chapter 50, and notice verses 18 to 21. Y'all with me? Everybody with me? Verse 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you 
and your little ones, and he comforted them, and he spake kindly unto them. And uh, notice, uh, we'll stop right there. Yeah, we'll stop right there. So, uh, so here's the thing. Joseph, the dream that he had as a young man has been realized in every way. And now his own brothers, they come and they, they fall down at his feet. They bow down in great respect and in fear. Don't kill us. We are your servants. And how does Joseph respond? Notice his answer or his response carefully. He said, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spake kindly unto them. Now here's the message. There's no anger in Joseph's words. There's no bitterness in Joseph's words or his response. There's no malice in what he says to them. There is no evil speaking to them or of them. Why is that? Because Joseph had no hatred in his heart. He had no anger toward them in his heart. He had no bitterness toward his brothers in his heart. He had no malice in his heart. Can I give you the reason that Joseph didn't have those things in his heart? Don't miss this. This is the lesson. I love this. Because the dream that he had in his heart was too big. He couldn't fit all those other emotions of hatred and anger and malice and bitterness and jealousy in his heart because he had a big dream to do something big for God. He believed God had given him a great purpose. Can I encourage you to write this on your heart? I wrote it down the way it, I thought it'd be good to word it. Joseph had a big dream that God put into his heart. And so Joseph focused on the dream. He focused on his calling. And Joseph's dream thrived. So write this on your heart. A dream cannot thrive in a heart that's filled with hate, anger, bitterness, and malice. I'm going to say that again. A dream cannot thrive in a heart that's filled with hate, anger, bitterness, and malice. Now watch this. And hate, anger, bitterness, and malice cannot fit in a heart that's filled with a dream. Whew. We have problems. We have challenges in our relationships. We have issues in our life. And we get anger and, and strife and hatred and bitterness filled up in our heart. And we think, boy, I sure would like to do this. I sure wish that I could work on this relationship. And I wish I could get my marriage to be better. And I wish I could have a better relationship with my children. And I sure would like these things. I'd like this to be better. But you don't have room in your heart for that. Because in your heart, you have anger still toward that person. You have bitterness toward that person. Sometimes we have regret 
in our heart. We can't just can't let go of the past. We have all these things in our heart that are hindering us in the dream, the, the desire, the goal, the thing that we truly want doesn't have room to grow. It has to grow in the heart. See, what's in your heart comes out in your out of your emotion, out of your what's in your heart comes out of your words and comes out in your actions. See, my wife used to tell me, you're, she'd say, you're telling me something, but your behavior, your actions are speaking louder than your words. It has to be from our heart. We have to get the anger and the bitterness and the malice that we have that, that toward the person that we, we want things to be better, but we have to forgive first. We have to let go first. We have to remove those emotions first because those are the things striving in our heart. So you have to put those aside. You have to take them out. You have to, the, the Bible says, put off these things. And that word says, put off anger, malice, and all those things. In Ephesians 5 and in Colossians, it says that also. What that means, and I'm not going to do it, but it means that it's kind of like if I were to take my jacket off and toss it across the room where it says put off these things, that's what it's saying. It's to take them off, take them out of your heart, and toss them away. Because as long as, it's kind of like having a lot of weeds in your garden, in, your, in a garden. What you've planted there is not going to thrive with all those weeds around it. you got to pull all that out. you got to pull all that anger and all that stuff. We, we, we are, uh, we're hindered from the things that we really are supposed to be doing. We're hindered from having better relationships in our marriage, in our family, with our children, with our parents because we keep that bitterness and anger and malice and sometimes hatred in our heart. We have to remove those things so the dream will thrive. I believe this all my heart and I've studied the life of Joseph so much. I love this. I believe that day that those the butler and, and baker said, hey, you know, I had a dream. And I, I, I don't understand my dream. I think if Joseph would have said, you know, I had a dream once, but I've given up. I've quit. I hate my brothers. I'll never, I'll never forgive them for what they've done to me. Look, I'm sitting in this prison. I've done nothing. I hate Pharaoh. I hate my brothers. I've given up on my dream. If he would have had that attitude, I don't think he would have ever done what he did. I think he would have died in prison. But I think when he heard those men saying, this isn't in, the, this isn't in Scripture, this is just my, my thinking out loud. I think when he heard those fellows say, I've, I, we had, I had this dream and I don't understand it. I think Joseph perked up and said, hey, you fellows, I got a dream. Tell me about yours. <laughs> and he interpreted theirs. Maybe he shared their dream with him, that, that his dream with them that day. But I do know this. In the end, all this came together with Joseph and his brothers. He did right by them because he didn't have all the other stuff in his heart because his dream was so big. Can I ask you this question? What's in your heart? you think about 
your relationships for just a moment. Think about any struggles you might be having in your relationships. I want to ask you, what's in your heart? What emotion do you have in your heart toward that person? And can I give you this, and I don't have time to get into this, but what emotion do you have in your, in your or what perspective of life do you have? What is your perspective of life? If your perspective is that there's no hope, my friend, that's the wrong perspective. There's always hope. There's hope because we have a resurrected Savior. There's hope because we have the copy of the Word of God. There is hope this morning. There's hope for your relationships. And there's hope for your life. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? I hope today that you have a dream in your heart. Because I know... I know that dreams come true. Dreams come true. And you can live your dream.